Okay, good morning, whoever just uh, uh, joined me. Uh, let's give uh, two more minutes uh, for others to join. Thank you. Hey, Amanda, good morning. Actually, I was about to reach out to you because uh, I'm going to do another Dobbs decision episode. Uh, I would like to invite you again uh, as a guest speaker because uh, I want to talk about uh, a scenario where a uh, 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 say African-American teenage girl uh, got pregnant, uh, gets pregnant and she's facing a burden of raising a child. And uh, I'm trying to find out, at least debate, how government can force this teenage girl to fulfill that obligation of raising a child. And so uh, I'm going to uh, message you after this show. Uh, hopefully, you know, you could uh, help me again uh, to discuss this topic involving the Dobbs decision. So also, actually, I'm going to just invite you to be the speaker right now. Okay, one more minute and I'll get started. Peter, I didn't get any of that because I was having headphone issues. I didn't hear any of what you said. Oh, no problem, Amanda. I was, uh, no problem. I was <laughs> about to read. I was going to do uh, next Sunday, I want to do the fourth episode for the Dobbs decision. Uh, okay. I want to put out a scenario where a teenage girl uh, gets pregnant. And uh, you probably know the best how much it costs to raise a child to adulthood, right? So I want to find out whether how government can have the authority to force a teenage girl to carry a pregnancy into full term, knowing how much it costs. So yeah. what I'm trying to say is I want to invite you to be the, you know, the guest speaker or co-host, um, as a matter of fact, you know, to talk about that. So I'm, I'm happy to do that, I, but I am not. I don't have kids. Oh, okay. That's okay. But you're I don't in know education if that matters. Field. It, it yes, does not matter. Yes, you know the education. Sure. You know how much it will cost yes. to educate a child. Yes, right? I know, so. and and I can definitely come with facts. I just because I'm not a parent doesn't mean I don't know how to go get information. I just wanted to make sure exactly. you knew that. Okay. Oh, oh I yeah. appreciate. It. I appreciate. It. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. Of the Dobbs yeah, yeah. decision is a fundamentally wrong decision, and I want to you know step by step, piece by and, piece to tear it apart. And and if and if and if abortion hadn't been legal and available, what I would be a mom. And I'm glad that I'm not. I mean, it's I, your I personal made choice. the right decision. It's all about, That's exactly. Right. It's, a, it's your choice, right? It's your decision. It's but no also, mm -hmm. also I would not have been able to afford it if the, if the guy that got me pregnant hadn't given me the money. Exactly. Exactly. I think that guy Because what am I going to do? Ask my parents? No. Exactly. Well, some would, but again, these are all their personal choice where I don't think any man or any government have any, you know, role in making right. that choice for that woman, right? For, for that teenager, you know, and uh, so, yeah. So anyway, okay, I'm going to get started for, with the today's episode. Oh, let me just get out from my chair.
So today's episode is about when lawyers became insurrectionists and when the civil war becomes all the rage. So as my update said, you know, the ongoing war in Ukraine is interesting in the sense that Putin is a lawyer. So is Joe Biden. They are both lawyers. And uh, this conflict has plenty of advance notice given to each other, where Putin demanded to have a meeting with uh, Joe Biden in regard to the uh, NATO expansion into Ukraine. Uh, apparently, no talks, no talks can be held uh, in that regard. And uh, so now we are in the reality of, in my opinion, is the start of the World War III. Because, uh, you know, as Russia has claimed, this is a war between Russia and the NATO, if not with the United States. So, so I just think this is a, a evidence, once again, that where there's a no global justice system, violence is only the solution for our, you know, uh, differences. And uh, we also learned uh, that this past week, another mass shooting by a very young person in North Carolina. And uh, this shooter is only 15 years old. So considering the, uh, the Uvadel, uh, I'm sorry, I forgot the name of that town in uh, Texas, this mass shooting in the elementary school, Uvalde. Rock Elementary School. Uvalde. Okay, Uvalde shooting and the Buffalo shooting. All three shootings are done by someone 18 and under. So that's shocking. It's not shocking, but that just shows us is this. The, the, the people are learning at a very young age that there's no justice system can stop bullies being bullies at school or bullies in the society, right? Every time there's a mass shooting, when I talk to my liberal friends about gun control, I always ask this question. Is it possible that cho our children learn how to bullying their classmates, schoolmates, by learning how the adult parents bullying each other at the work in society and all that? I think there's a connection. There's a connection. The shooting out of the workplace disagreement it's similar to the shooting at school and all that. It started with the Columbine and the government never get to the bottom of it. And uh, so, so to today, I'm gonna talk about when lawyers realize there's no legal remedy for grievances, what happened to them. And uh, and, uh, and uh, why there could be a possibility there will be a civil war, second one in America. So to, I'll start with the news update. The, uh, there's a one calling show hosted by uh, Ali Alexander. Uh, he, uh, my, based on my research, is a uh, Republican, uh, uh, avid Trump supporter, and uh, he has uh, you know, some conspiracy theories and all that. Uh, but I was uh, particularly take uh, interest in his uh, Hunter Biden episode, which he brought up a very good point, because DOJ recently leaked a news to the Washington Post about charging Hunter Biden for tax evasion and uh, 
uh, lying in his gun application. And Ali Alexander has brought up this uh, question, which I think is very valid. We did not hear anything about Hunter Biden's cocaine possession. As we know, it's Joe Biden over his 30 some years service in the Judiciary Committee of the Senate that have come up with a various federal laws punishing drug possession. There's a whole bunch of related offenses to possession of cocaine. That means uh, not just possession, that means uh, dealings, meaning you made a financial transaction for, co for cocaine. There's trafficking, meaning that you're trafficking cocaine from Delaware to somewhere else, which I'm pretty sure happened. There's also money laundering, meaning that you actually is going to hide your business income for the purpose of, of buying cocaine. Any of these crimes, offenses under these special, uh, statutes carry far more serious consequences. And we have learned that the DOJ is only considering the tax evasion and the uh, lying on the gun application which both are quite minor as comparing to these uh, drug-related uh, crimes. So I think uh, Ali Alexander definitely made a good point uh, on that. The second piece of news I want to talk about is uh, my friend Amanda's uh, episode on gerontocracy in America. Uh, I actually did, uh, according to Amanda's request, listen to one podcast uh, the podcast uh, title is, Is There a Generation Gap in American Politics? After I listening uh, to the podcast for 40 some minutes, I have to say it's a very, very weak argument because uh, it is a counterintuitive in America with a Western culture that actually disrespect senior citizens, culturally disrespecting senior people with a higher age. So it is almost impossible for very old people in their 80s to be in the highest office in our government. And that is why I actually want to bring attention to the fact that every individual this podcast talk about, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, they all happen to be white persons. So it's not a gerontocracy in America. It's more of a white gerontocracy in America. And I can assure you, if any of these three folks are black, they will never get this far at this old age. So that is, you know, in my opinion, is there a generational gap in American politics? Well, the, my point is this. If there's always a racial gap, first and foremost, in our democracy, which I call it the white majoritarian democracy, then the generation gap is really minor as compared to the racial gap. So that's the second piece of the news update. The third piece of news update is this. 
Mike Lindell, a big promoter of Donald Trump and the election fraud claim, now had a, has a lawyer and he already filed a lawsuit against the FBI for a seizure of his phone. As I, as I always said before, what, ha what happened to that uh, African Socialist, uh, African People's Socialist Party chairman, Mr. Yashitella? His entire house, his entire office were raided. And I bet a whole lot more properties were seized from him by the FBI. Does Chairman Yashitala has a lawyer have a lawyer yet to seek return of his cell phone? By the way, you know, as I was raided by the FBI, I can tell you a little bit uh, truth about this is that there actually is no good reason for the FBI to hold your cell phone that long, as we all know how important cell phone to a person these days. Literally, when you lose your cell phone, it's like a, it's a pretty big disturbance to your personal life because everything you do, most, most of your things you do is in your cell phone. And it actually takes less than, say, probably an hour for the FBI to make an image of your cell phone, meaning they can copy all the possible evidence of your, quote, crimes, end quote, from your cell phone by just mirroring the storage of your cell phone, okay? After they did that, they totally should be able to give that cell phone back to you. But here is just a, another example that our justice system is entirely two-tiered. Our law enforcement is enforcing law in a, with a two approach approach. When is for the white, when is for the other. Right? So, so, so that's another piece of news about Michael Lindell. Uh, the fourth piece of the news is this. I did not know this until recently. This is that there are actually for official reparation demands by two very, very developed countries. One is Poland. Poland has formally submitted its, its uh, 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 demand for reparation from Germany. And uh, I will take your call uh, after I finish the, uh, the, the news update, Tommy. Uh, feel free to call in. The, uh, the second developed nation who have a formal demand for reparation is South Korea towards Japan. Both are for the war crimes committed during the World War, Second World War. So here comes another question. What about the African countries? What about India? I think I mentioned uh, uh, France 24, which is definitely a you know, Western countries uh, news outlet. They recently showed uh, Queen Elizabeth a prized possession of a diamond from all over the world. One particular piece is from India, and there's a lot of discussion in India, in India that that diamond was taken illegally. Okay, this is France 24 
newswoman literally is showing like a, a crime scene where a, a, a evidence of crime being wear, worn by the Queen Elizabeth. So have we heard any official demand for reparation from these uh, global South countries? We heard from developed countries like Poland and South Korea, who are pretty rich and developed. So from Hunter Biden from to Michael Lindell to, to this reparation demand, you know, we can show that uh, I want to, I just want to show this thing called the white privilege is not a cultural, a societal phenomenon. It's a legal and a governmental privilege. And they are in our plain view every single day. So with that, that's my, my news update for today. So uh, again, Tommy, if you want to call in, feel free to call in. Uh, now I'm going to talk about uh, today's episode again is about uh, when lawyers became insurrectionists and when the civil war becomes all the rage. Uh, I will start with the introduction. Uh, this uh, introduction is about the, I call it the excuse of quote, I only hate Chinese government not Chinese people, end quote. I heard quite a bit, I'm Chinese, so I quite, I heard quite a bit of this excuse recently, and I want to talk about it as an uh, introduction. And then this will be followed by a segment, I call it, when American lawyers turned insurrectionist. I'm gonna talk about specific, specifically about three lawyers. Uh, uh, one, his name is Roy, Dan Hollander. Another person is uh, Bernadine Dorn. And the third lawyer is uh, Paul Robeson. And then I'm going to follow by a segment that's called What Took America to the First Civil War? And then I'm going to compare that with the today's situation, why there could be the second civil war coming. With a very in under a very similar circumstances, and I, I'm going to conclude today's episode by talking about this term called, called Black Messiah and White Messiah, and the unequal rights of free speech in this country. They are all related to the topics that I just talked about. So. Jonathan, okay, I'm going to take you as a next caller. Go ahead, Jonathan. Unmute yourself. Are you still there, Jonathan? Okay, if not, then I'm going to move forward. So the introduction I have is that I've recently heard quite a bit about this excuse. Uh, about, I only hate Chinese government, not the Chinese people. Who said that? Christopher Ray of the FBI said that on the Senate floor. Who else has said that recently? 
Well, one host on calling, her name is Sheila Dean. She talked about it. And also there is a uh, listener, Saleh, uh, I believe is her name. She talks about it. And uh, so I actually uh, have to cut in the other day when Saleh is talking about this, I call it excuse of, uh, I only hate Chinese government, not Chinese people. So my general suggestion is this. There are plenty of reason for anyone, especially people who side with the colonizers to hate the Chinese government. And I'll explain to you why. So I don't blame anyone when they say, I hate Chinese government, but I doubt that they don't hate Chinese people, which I'm gonna ex explain. So the way I look at it is this, the grandest strategy of all the WASP, uh, you know, the white Anglo-Saxon person strategy to, to conquer the savages and the half civilized inhabitants of this uh, world, the grandest strategy, the smartest strategy is to divide them and have these uh, savages and half civilized people to kill each other through wars and then conquer them. That is the case in the current conflict between Ukraine, Ukrainians and Russians. Because the Ukrainians or Russians are actually belong to the same Slavic slave people of the Europe. It's good for the Anglo-Saxon Westerners to see these savages kill each other. It is also based on is also triggered by violation of a, a international treaty, bilateral treaty called the Minsk Treaty or Minsk Agreement. It is also the same strategy that the Westerners is taking in regard to Taiwan and China. In that, it is the wet dream of the Western countries to see Chinese killing Chinese. It is also based on a wet dream that a bilateral treaty between US and China can be violated without the due process. That treaty is called the Shanghai Communique of 1972. Some same thing can be said about the so-called the, the war between the South Vietnamese versus the North Vietnamese. It is at the best interest of the Western countries to see Vietnamese kill Vietnamese. It is also based on a violation of the 1956 Geneva Convention Treaty. In that treaty, it was agreed by all parties that there will be a national election in Vietnam after the fall of Dien Bien Phu But, uh, but encouraged by the United States, the South Vietnamese government say, no, we're not gonna do it. And in between, there is a mass migration by CIA's propaganda campaign of a Catholic Vietnamese moving to the South, preparing for bloody battle that follows. The next one is the South Korea 
versus North Korea. The war, the Korean War and the Vietnam War is never written in the US textbook for high schools, uh, you know, or, or even for colleges. Despite the fact that the US lost 37,000 soldiers in Korea and 58,000 soldiers in Vietnam. The Korean War is also a violation of uh, agreement on the 38th parallel. It is, however, a little bit complicated because it is for the North Koreans to invade into South Korea, violating the 38th parallel borderline. But afterwards, it's the General Douglas MacArthur who disobeyed the order from President Truman and invaded all the way up to the border of Korea and China that forced the Chinese sending troops to Korea. Had generous General Douglas MacArthur followed President Truman's order, the Korea War could have ended at the 38th parallel without losing 38,000 lives. But again, it may be it is the grand plan of the Western countries to see savages and half-civilized people killing each other. That is the same with all the African conflicts that are happening in the past in Africa and the current conflict. In our own country, we know a lot of native tribes fighting with the native tribes, with the colonizers benefiting from those infights. We all know India and the Pakistan and Bangladesh are formerly one country under British rule. It's called the British Raj, R-A-J. But the British cleverly divided the country into three. And the conflict between India and the Pakistan have never stopped. Next one, the black on black shootings in Chicago, in most inner cities. I don't necessarily bl uh, blame the black people. I've always said our court system, our justice system is never intended to address grievances between races or between the poor and the rich. Our justice system is designed to do minimum to keep the existing scheme for the rich to benefit from the poor, to maintain this thing called the white majoritarian democracy. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was uh, laughing very hard when I heard a black soldier was killed in Africa. This is probably during Obama years because there was a terrorist attack in Africa. One of the dead American soldiers is a black soldier. I was like, uh, why are armed black Americans, what is he doing in Africa? Knowing what happened to the African countries, knowing what his ancestor has suffered. 
So with all these, you can conclude that the colonizers abuse laws and use laws as tools of oppression. And it just happened, the Chinese people are smart enough, early enough to see it through. Colonizers routinely violate treaties. Treaties are laws. Repeated violation, you know, I've talked about, you know, I heard about this. I don't, I'm pretty sure it's true. Out of over 400 treaties we signed with the Native Americans, not a single one was followed. The repeated violation of, of treaties are not tragedy or mistakes or errors. No, they are premeditated. I've talked about this uh, law professor at Penn, Amy Wax, talking about the, the slavery and the racial oppression is like a car accident. Not a deliberate act. Those are nonsense. So again, the Chinese are the people who are smart enough to see it through early enough. So they took some actions. So the excuse of I only hate Chinese government, not Chinese people, is a little bit misguided. Because of this, like I said, you have all the reason to hate Chinese government. Because of Mao, as the head of Chinese government, has long concluded the political power comes from the barrels of guns. Violence is only mean to counter the divide and conquer strategy of the colonizers. For in independence and justice, the colonized people must resort to violent re revolution as is the case in American independence from the British. As it is the case of a Vietnamese independence from the French and then from the Americans. So although Korea war is entirely avoidable, if not for General Douglas MacArthur, Mao really had no choice but sent the Chinese troops there. In there, I think the Chinese side casualty is about 200,000 dead. On the American side, it's 37,000 dead. It's a sim, you know, the casualty ratio, I will have to say, will be similar to a typical battle between Native Americans and the white colonizers. But 30,000 dead is a tremendous casualty for white Americans to take. For that reason, and for that reason alone, the colonizers has every reason to hate Chinese government. Next up, as we know, during the Vietnam War, I did not learn this until very recently, is that actually the Chinese government is behind the Vietnamese, the North Vietnamese, when they take down the French in the Battle of Dien Bien Phu, which is the most humiliating loss of a French military in this entire history. 
And afterwards, as we know, because the US, United States today is literally repeating its a Vietnam strategy, because as early as 1947, the American government started to fund 80% of the French military operation in Vietnam. Similar what we're doing today to Ukraine. Now I'm saying this not because I'm for Russia against Ukraine or vice versa. I'm just saying the US back then paid 80% of the French military operation in Vietnam. Similar what it's doing today to Ukraine. So as we know, the Chinese government is also behind the Vietnamese independence war against the Americans. And 58,000 people died unnecessarily. And of course, the casualty on the Vietnamese side is even worse because Ho Chi Minh has declared to a, a Swedish journalist that his tolerance of a casualty ratio is 10 to 1, 10 Vietnamese persons to one dead American soldiers. Considering the 50,000 dead American soldiers, you would think, I will probably have to agree with you, yeah, that you have all the reason to hate the Chinese government. I want to make a comparison, okay? When Japan, Empire of Japan attacked Pearl Harbor, and while the US government interned 120,000 Japanese Americans, we can all, you know, we can all have this racist apology saying, I only hate Empire of Japan, not the Japanese people. But is it, that tr is it true? As in my pa past episode, I have talked about this. When the United States court defined the Japanese Americans as an alien race, you can legally, you are legally free to hate Japanese people, regardless whether you hate the empire of Japan or not. Same thing can be said here. I need not to know whether you hate Chinese people or not. It all depends on what has happened historically, legally. You know, I was recently learned this, literally yesterday, because, you know, I'm on this topic of a judicial white privilege. So I've been, you know, watching different videos on YouTube and on internet about the historic cases that justify my conclusion that we have a totally two-tiered justice system from day one in a multiracial society. So the things that the, the YouTube will suggest different videos to me. So I think it's uh, yesterday, if not uh, Friday, that YouTube suggests me to re, uh, me a PBS documentary about a, a prosecution, criminal prosecution of a Chinese community bank in New York City. The name of the bank is called the Abacus Bank. So we know in 2008, there is a financial crisis out of the uh, mortgage 
situation. And uh, I have a pretty good knowledge that uh, uh, the bank committed some fraudulent activities and a lot of uh, racial minorities lost their homes because they are, they are, they are sold with uh, high interest mortgages and uh, they could not afford a lot of people, you know, was hurt. And it also led to a very big financial crisis in 2008. So you would think the banks probably did something wrong, fraudulently, criminally, that lead us to that situation, right? You know, you will not be too surprised. You, you know, probably you have that suspicion. But they take a guess. What bank could be criminally prosecuted for mortgage fraud? I know this much is that Bank of America actually was civilly liable of paying hundreds of million dollars for their mortgage loan practice. But there's nothing criminal. But there was a bank which was criminally prosecuted. The name of the bank is Abacus Bank. I did not know about this case until yesterday. This is a Chinese community bank. I have not read in great detail about this, but this much I do know. The executive of this bank reported a loan officer to the, to the authority, thinking this loan officer may have committed some fraudulent activities. The government turned around and suspect that the president, the, the top uh, persons of this bank is behind those fraudulent activities. Talking about reporting a crime to police and the police come back and say, you are the criminal. That's exactly what happened. It's a little community bank, okay? So they, they got dragged into a criminal trial against a Chinese bank. There's no other bank ever be criminally prosecuted for mortgage fraud, only the Chinese bank. And take a guess, Amanda, I want you to take a guess. When the jury returned a not guilty verdict, as you know, in a jury trial, you have you, the foreman of the jury have to come out and say, on the count of X, Y, Z, we, the jury, find defendant not guilty. Take a guess, how many counts of offenses the entire criminal prosecution is. Amanda, go ahead and take a guess. How many counts they charged with, or how many they they mm -hmm. went? Um, I don't. I have no idea. Uh, they, they, are, they, are, they are found of not guilty on any counts. But take a guess how many counts of offenses they they got charged. Like Trump was a search for two hundred and fifty possible offenses. How come you're so good, Amanda? I don't. How come you're so good? It's a 240. No way. It's a 240. No, I did honestly. Seriously. I did not so, know. Remember, I. No so, uh, no. so again, I just read about this. Okay. So I, I, I'm trying to imagine. Remember when O.J. Simpson's trials of former jury foreman come out. We the people, in regard to O.J. Simpson, count number one. Blah blah blah. We the people find him not guilty. 
So think about this poor jury foreman that have to read all this shit 240 times saying not guilty. What the fuck? Well, that, is that just makes it that just makes it extra not guilty, isn't it? Yeah, that each count it means that the crime is committed by the government, not that by the Chinese Community Bank. This is why I said I greatly enjoy what's happening in uh, today to Donald Trump. Because this 250, uh, 200, sorry, I'm going to go with Amanda's number now. This 240 count offenses, it's called trumped up charges. Trumped up charges. That's how they are used in the legal community. So I love it when Donald Trump is facing trumped up charges. Every single tricks of our unequal justice system is being applied to a most powerful white man, Donald George J. Trump. Go ahead, do it. I'm going to enjoy the show. So, as we know, actually, Amanda, I need your advice. I'm about to use the N word. This N-word is a part of the two-word American slang or idiom. Am I allowed by calling or social media policy to use the N-word here, Amanda? I would just use N-word. Which N-word okay. do you mean? Okay, I'm going to show that, okay? Whether you hate Chinese or not does not matter when your government hates Chinese. There's a word called N-gold, N-word gold. I learned about this word a long time ago. N-word gold means, generally speaking, if a black person is a little bit rich and prosperous, prosperous he's considered to have some N-word gold, because it's a general narrative that a black person cannot be this prosperous unless he had committed some crimes. Right? So there's another racist term, which I find is fascinating. This racial slur I can use, because I'm a Chinese, it's called Chinaman's chance. Chinaman's chance meaning the Chinese will go extra miles to pursue an opportunity is almost non-existent for any other white person. Chinaman's chance. So I can say this, during the Korea War, the Chinaman had no chance in the Korea War. The Korea War is fought under the, the name of the United Nations, but it actually is carried out by a breakaway general, Douglas MacArthur, who is a, clearly a racist. The Chinaman had no chance there. Why U.S. got involved with Vietnam War? 
the U.S. always avoided to have a direct confrontation with Russia and the Russians. Today and in the past, during the Cuba crisis, during all kinds of crises. But why the U.S. is involved in the Vietnam War? I was recently get to listen to the audiobook, Pentagon's paper. Every single term of the event, the decision makers, all whites, has been told there's no chance to the US to win in the Vietnam. But they all decided to go ahead instead. What's the important word that's missing in the Pentagon paper are the word gooks, G-O-O-K-S. As John McCain has frequently used. Because the gooks does not have a Chinaman's chance to win the Vietnam War. The sad reality is that the Chinese government somehow did. So for that reason alone, you have all the reason to hate the Chinese government. I'm not a fan of any government, not a US government, not a Chinese government. I'm just laid this out so you know, you actually have a right to hate Chinese government. And whether you hate Chinese or not does not matter because what I care about is whether the US government hates Chinese or not. So I always hold, hold, uh, hold that belief that the Second Amendment is not for hunting. Our Second Amendment is the domestic version of a Mao's declaration that political power comes from the barrels of guns. It is the, for the sovereign citizens of the United States, you and me, anyone who are citizens of the United States to defend our liberty against enemies, domestic and foreign. So you don't born free, you don't. The Declaration of Independence says so, but you don't. Malcolm X has always said, the African-Americans in America is internally imprisoned by the government. That I call it the, call the, white, uh, the white majoritarian democracy. So, so that is the section for the uh, for this episode. The this first, uh, the next segment I'm talking about is when American lawyers term insurrectionist. So, I have talked about the insurrection in the past. I distinguish. Uh, ins insurrection can be civil and violent. Okay, I've said that uh, I think uh, this uh, leaker of the Dobbs decision by the US Supreme Court, this uh, law clerk is definitely a civil insurrectionist, meaning that he or she did something is very, very extraordinary. You know, Daniel Ellsberg, le the leaker of the Pentagon's paper, another civil insurrectionist. He didn't use a gun, but he used something extraordinary. Edward Snowden is a civil insurrectionist. 
you will think lawyers will always want to take a civil means to seek justice. But uh, I have found at least three lawyers took a violent path. A path. Okay, the first one is the guy, Roy Dan Hollander. You know, not a many people knows about him. Uh, this guy is, a called, uh, is also someone called a man's rights lawyer. He actually once was interviewed by Stephen Colbert on the Colbert Report. In year 2020, I think he found out he has he was diagnosed with a cancer. So he get a gun and then he disguised as a UPS driver. And he he's based in New York, North Jersey, New York City. He flew all the way to California, killed a lawyer there, who is also a so-called men's rights lawyer. And then he flew back to New Jersey and went after a federal judge at her house. He is involved in something called the men's rights movement. So I want not to, uh, by not to take sides here, but I think I brought up this uh, situation a mass shooting in Elk Mills, Maryland, in September, where five people were killed, including the murder-suicide person. It's a one guy killing three of his children and then his wife, and then committed and then called the nine one one and then killed himself. Is that a mass shooting? I would say so. But why media would never talk about it? Why the government, whether it's a state or federal, not interested in finding out what happened? So Roy Den Hollander complained that he had a case where the plaintiff is a young woman, a high school girl, who sued the US government for only drafting male citizens to be in the military service. He complained that the judge who is on his case is moving too slowly because he knows a fellow lawyer in California is doing a similar case for a man, for a group of men. So Roy Dan Hollander felt that he was wronged he believed the justice, the court, is intentionally delayed his case. So upon learning he had cancer, he took a violent act. While someone else did it worse than Roy Den Hollander. Her name is Bernadine Dorn, D-O-H-R-N. Bernadine Dorn is also a lawyer. Graduated from fine law school. She is among those who produce a manifesto which says, quote, to build a fucking white revolutionary movement, end quote. She was a principal signatory on the Weather Underground Declaration of a State of War in May 1970 that formally declared war on the US government. 
She became one of the leaders of the revolutionary youth movement, a radical wing of students for a democratic society. Born with 10 other SDS members associated with the RYN, issued on June 18th, 1969, a 16,000-word manifesto entitled, You Don't Need a Weatherman to Know Which Way the Wind Blows. She stated that the goal of the revolution is the destruction of U.S. imperialism and the achievement of a classless world world communism. So she is another example when a lawyer resorted to violent means, similar to what Putin is doing. And the third person I want to talk about is Paul, Paul Robertson. I did not know about him until recently. I'm very glad he actually is from Philadelphia, which I'm, I live very close to. And they do have a, a, you know, not a museum, but some kind of a, a place of his work in West Philadelphia, which I intend to visit pretty soon. Paul Robertson probably is the most talented black man we will ever know, uh, know right? He's a, I think he's a football player. He's a musician. He's a, in theatrics. He's also a lawyer. I think he went to Columbia Law School. He is like a Muhammad Ali. He's a victim of the cancel culture, right? Just like the critical race theory. As I always said, the critical race theory, in my opinion, existed since 1826 in that uh, moral and the chart of the inhabited world. The cancel culture has existed long before today. Paul Robinson was totally canceled. But I admire him to have that vision that he is the one who actually under the UN Charter, United Nations Charter, went to the United Nations claiming that the U.S. government has mistreated Black people. Before I learned about him, I thought the Malcolm X is the first one who brought this up. Apparently not. Paul Robeson did that. And I know as recently as 2014, uh, 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 because of, uh, in that Michael Brown's uh, situation, Michael Brown's family went to the United Nations complain. Now, I want to stress this, is this. I'm not trying to defend certain things that Michael Brown probably did, or this guy, uh, George Floyd, probably did. Again, George Floyd, if you remember, did pass a fake $20 bill. Michael Brown probably did, uh, you know, disobey what the white police officer asked him to do. The question is always that, does those, do, do those conduct fit to the crime charged? 
it did not. Just like this Abacus Bank criminal case. Is there any improper things done in that bank? Probably yes. But what leads to the fact that among all the national banks probably did similar things during, uh, you know, that leads to the 2008 financial crisis. How come only this little Chinese community bank is the only one prosecuted with 24 counts of federal, uh, 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 fe uh, not federal, uh, 20, 240 counts of offenses? That is just another example is that even lawyers can come to the conclusion that justice system, our justice system does not work. And they decided, unfortunately, to take a violent approach. So that is the end of this segment. As I always said, the violence in our society, in my opinion, is always because there's no civil venue to address the grievances. And I have said in the past that the first civil war of the United States can be avoided had the court followed the Constitution. So now I'm going to talk about in this segment what took America to the first civil war and how that relates to today. So based on what I have read, what the, there's two things that took America to the first civil war. One is the fake news, and the other is uh, the presidential election that elected Abraham Lincoln to be the president. So what is the fake news? The fake news is this. For the longest time, by the way, the South at that time is the stronger, or perceived to be the stronger side of the war because uh, there's a lot of uh, cottons are produced in the South because they are like they control the raw material over the uh, economy. And the South has a very, is very influential in, in, in Washington, D.C. For the longest time, the South is uh, promoting this belief that the Northern state were organizing the slave escape to the North. And the, 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 the worst propaganda is that they are saying Despite this law called the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, they are saying the federal authorities, uh, in that law, the federal authorities is required to help slave owners to capture the escaped slaves. The South always claims that the federal authorities is never sincere and have never done enough to capture and return the slave that has escaped. That claim is actually not true. Because I think I mentioned before, I actually is 
in contact with a guy who is a member of the of this group called the, the Sons of the Confederate Soldiers. Okay, because sometimes I discuss this, uh, you know, the Civil War topics with him. The uh, first thing is, uh, what the fake thing is this? First of all, because I, I mentioned to this guy, is that it's very hard to accuse the Northerners helping the slave to escape because uh, if the Southerners are treating slaves as uh, stock animals, like uh, horses, like uh, sheep, like uh, pigs and all that, if a horse run, uh, ran away, you simply cannot blame anyone, either in South or the North, that horse ran away. More, more than likely that horse ran away on its own initiation for whatever reason. So it's very, very difficult to accuse the Northerner saying, okay, I'm gonna to come to the South to a slave owner's property, open some kind of a lock or gate or something and help these slaves to, to, to get away. No, it's the slaves themselves organizing the escape. The second fake news is this, is that the courts, the federal authorities actually is working very, very hard to capture the slaves from the North and return to the South. Okay, for two reasons. First of all, the law itself, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 requires federal authorities to do so. If they don't do that, they also, it also requires the state officials to help capturing and returning the fugitive, fugitive slaves. If these uh, government people does not do that, fail to do that, they get fined. There are even criminal penalties to the state officials if they help the, uh, the, 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 the fugitive slaves. On top of that, if you help capture a slave, you got financial rewards for that by the government, by the federal government, from the national federal treasury. And on top of even that, the federal court, the courthouse, the federal magistrate, by, by returning those slaves, they got a bonus for it. So, so you have a, a criminal penalty if you help fugitive slaves. And there'll be financial reward if you help capturing and returning them. So it's a, to it's a fake news that the South promoted saying that the North is always against us for the slaves. When in fact, the federal court, uh, there is a book called the uh, Slave Catchers. Slave Catchers, that book is pretty good because it lists almost all available fugitive slave cases in that book. 
And it's only a, it lists only a partial list of fugitive slave cases, meaning these are the cases heard by the federal court. And the vast, vast majority of those captured slaves got returned. So under this fake news, as soon as Lincoln got elected president, again, the aggressor is the South. The South decided, that's it. We need to go for the secession. And they also want to do it violently, through violent means. Because I asked this guy, again, he's a member of the Sons of the Confederate Soldiers. I said, look, how come the South never bothered, like the state of Tennessee or state of Alabama, they have never bothered to come to the courthouse, say, hey, under the Constitution, we, the state of Alabama, has the right to secede from the Union. We want to do it civilly. We want to do it legally. Because we no longer trust the northern states helping us capturing the slaves. We therefore want to secede from the Union. I asked this guy that question. I said, if you have had, you know, asked for that by, you know, in the court, I think under the Constitution at the time, the state are freed, are free to, 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 to depart from the Union. Because the, the Constitution of the United States is, you know, is constructed to, to have all these states have all kinds of rights and all that, if, you know, for them to join. If those terms is not sustainable, the states is allowed by the Constitution to secede. But the South did not do that. They think they are more powerful. They have more financial means. They rather do it violently. So with that said, you know, I'm going to go evaluate what the current situation is. To me, the ingredients of the second civil war is also a fake news and potentially a presidential election. We already have this uh, lawyer, Bernadine Dorn. As an example, even though it's the left example on the left, of this quote to build a fucking white revolutionary movement, end quote. Can that word to be used for certain groups in today's politics? I will say yes. So there's two ingredients I see today that can become the maker of a civil war, war two. One is political, when is the military? When I talk the political ingredients, I'm going to remind everyone, the courts are political tools. Okay, just remember that. That's it's always my assertion. The courts by design should be apolitical. But as many people recognize now, including those high, highly regarded legal scholars, such as the Lawrence Tribe of Harvard Law School, we all agree now the course actually has become, has always been, in my opinion, political tools. So the political ingredient is this. 
it's also a fake news, in my opinion, that election is rigged and our democracy is in danger, claimed by the left. Oh, sorry, by the right, by the right. We currently literally have the two biggest showboats, America's two biggest American showboats, Donald Trump and Michael Lindell. Marketing this fake news is that the 2020 election is stolen. Now, I actually is sympathetic to the claims that there is election irregularities in the year 2020. Because, you know, I admitted that Trump is just a douchebag, you know, he, he, he's just a nasty human being, even by his own people, his own underlings. We all know that. A lot of people just hate him. So as we know, due to the COVID and all that, some of the 2020 election is done via mail-in ballots, not in person, not totally with a ID and all that. So there is some factual support, but I personally doubt, I personally, I doubt about the claim by, made by these two biggest showboats, the 2020 election stolen. But there are some other factors because it is undisputable that the deep state, as I call them, the, national, the administrative state of a national security, in short, would be deep state. The deep state had a role in the 2016 election. I have always said Hillary Clinton should never been qualified to run for 2016 election because she, her email server scandal is criminal offense by the letter of the law. Had Clinton disqualified herself and withdraw, Joe Biden probably could have beat, beaten Trump in 2016. It's the deep state, specifically the FBI, who came out and say there will be no charges, not to a single person among the Clinton operatives who had a role in the email server scandal. We also know that because of that, because of this constant claim that Trump is a Russian asset, there is a valid claim that there's a subversion of a Trump presidency by the Clinton operatives inside the deep state. There's some valid factual points in that. So this is the second political ingredient, meaning that the Trump supporters strongly believe, and I don't blame them, that Trump's presidency is entirely undermined by the deep state from the get-go. And the third one is the election, uh, the great replacement theory we know about. Because of, I will tell you, all the Trump supporters always strongly believe that the immigrants are voting for Democrats. They are in belief that the immigrants are illegally voting 
for Democrats. That's real fake news. Now, I don't know how much is that true, but I know there is a very strong claim in that. Okay. And the fourth is that, you know, as I think the, uh, it is a report yesterday that through the January 6th committee's investigation, it is found that there are plenty of Trump supporters within the FBI. So you are going to have this political divide within the law enforcement organizations. Just add another instability for what's upcoming. These are the political instabilities. Okay. So next, I'm going to talk about the military in ingredients of Civil War II. One of the biggest critics of the FBI, of the U.S. government, is a Timothy McVeigh, who is a veteran and who bombed a federal building. Another famous person is John Allen Muhammad, who is the, I would say, mass shooter in D.C. area, who is also a veteran. Both McVeigh and Muhammad were former military personnel, similar to the Oath Keepers. Think about the role of the Oath Keepers in the January 6th incident. I don't want to call January 6th an insurrection yet, but I can at least call it an incident. So currently, there's a number of cases that uh, you know, I want to brought your attention to. The Defense Department, DOD, has mandated vaccine for troops. Any soldiers in active service, they are required by DOD to take COVID vaccination. So think of it in this picture, okay? Picture this yourself in your, in your brain, in your head. Can the U.S. government, while training a military person, a soldier, how to operate the M16 automatic rifle, can the U.S. government force into this soldier's barracks or his home, saying, here, here's a needle. I intend to in stick this needle inside your body to inject COVID vaccine against your will. Think of that. On one side is the government. On the other side is an armed soldier with expertise of operating firearms, assault rifles, that you're telling the soldier, we're going to force this needle inside your body whether you like it or not. I know of the fact that there's a multiple lawsuit these days in the federal court about the military mandate 
of a COVID vaccine. Again, I'm not a vaccine denier. I myself have taken COVID vaccine for employment purposes. But think about you're forcing someone with a firearm to do that. The reason I want to stress this is this. Because of the Dobbs decision, which means that government, in this case state government, can force itself into a woman's womb. As I discussed the last, in the last Sunday's episode, I will say we will not know for sure how the Supreme Court will decide on the forceful vaccination, aka taking a needle upon those who are trained to operate assault rifles. Now, there's a reason for that. Because Michael Flynn is a lieutenant general. We know Michael Flynn, right? He is a victim of the deep state. During the Trump presidency, okay? Michael Flynn, he owes $2 million in legal fees because of the investigation done to him by the deep state. Michael Flynn, to me, is getting close to be the John Brown 